The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I bring greetings to you on behalf of Prison Fellowship Canada, not only our staff, but all our many volunteers, and also the many inmates that we minister to within the jails here through Manitoba. You've just watched the video of Chuck Colson, the founder of this ministry, and he is infamous for his role in the Watergate scandal in the United States. And he states in the video that once inside prison, he came to the realization that I'm not any different than these guys. I'm not any better than these guys. And that realization that everyone is broken was the catalyst for him to spend the rest of his days serving inmates with the love of Jesus. I also have the privilege of working inside our correctional facilities. And I'm going to just go through a quick snapshot here of the status of corrections in Manitoba. You'll see that we have one federal institution in the province, that's Stony Mountain. It has medium, minimum, and maximum security, but it's only for men. So if you're a federally sentenced woman, you need to leave the province. There's a federal halfway house in Winnipeg. We have uh, two youth facilities, one here in Winnipeg, the Manitoba Youth Centre, and one in Portage La Prairie called Agassiz. And then we have seven provincial facilities. Um, that seems like a lot, but they're scattered. We have them up in the Paw and Brandon. We have them out by Beauzegeer at Milner Ridge. In the city, we have Winnipeg Remand Center. Just to the west, we have Men's Headingley and Women's Headingley, and then another uh, facility in Brandon. But the next statistics are the ones that kind of break my heart, and we see how the race divisions happen in our system. Our indigenous people in this province make up 15% of the population, but they represent 74% of admissions to custody. And when you look at women, indigenous women are only 17% of the adult female population in Manitoba, but they occupy 82% of our jail cells for women. Um, this shows the lingering effects of colonialism and all the trauma that their communities have had to bear. And it's a problem we really need to address. Manitoba also has the dubious honor of having the highest incarceration rate of the provinces in Canada and the highest youth incarceration rate. Uh, we see the same kind of racial divide with our youth. 81% of the male teens are Aboriginal. 82% of the male, female teens are Aboriginal. But the next one is the one that bothers me the most. 68% of our prisoners in jail are currently on remand. So that means they have been charged with a crime, but they have not had their day in court, they have not been declared guilty, and they are in custody awaiting, uh, in a very anxiety-ridden time, waiting for something to happen. So more than two-thirds of our prisoners have not been formally uh, found guilty. So when you sum it all up in our province on any given day, we have roughly 11,000 people, that's more than the entire population of Selkirk, Manitoba, who are either incarcerated or dealing with consequences of their criminal behavior. So if we want to talk about brokenness, there's a lot of brokenness in this province. Oh, it did work on there. Uh, as we look at Prison Fellowship in Manitoba, we currently have volunteer chapters working in Brandon, working in Women's Correctional Center, in Milner Ridge, at the youth centers, both of them, and also at Stony Mountain Institution. 
but we need volunteers because we can not only expand the volunteers in those facilities, but we have requests from the Winnipeg Remand Centre, from the PAW, and from Headingley to increase our programming. So as we think about church engagement, uh, there was a study in the United States, and it's probably very similar results in Canada, a few years ago that shows 97% of pastors believe that the church should help the families of those who are incarcerated. 95% of pastors believe that the church should provide care for those being released from custody. But most pastors and most congregations have little or no contact with prisoners or ex-offenders, and so prison ministry is not on their radar. In fact, a full third of all the churches in the states have no one that they know that has been in jail. So when it's off the radar like that, the, the ministry suffers. And the biggest barrier cited by pastors about being involved in prison work is the lack of training, which is 62% of them saying that's the problem, and lack of volunteers, 65% say that's the problem. I know every ministry struggles to get volunteers, but Prison Fellowship is happy to provide training and connect you with opportunities in this province if you feel your heart being pulled in this direction. As an organization, we have four core program areas. The first being our in-prison ministry, and this is done through small group studies. We have various curriculum. Uh, we, one of them is the main gospel according to the book of Mark, just the very, very basics of the Christian message. It's an eight-week course. We have a longer course on forgiveness and how it can affect you and your family. We have topical studies on uh, different things to help you as you integrate back into society. And all of these groups are done in a small group setting, usually a maximum of 12 inmates to two volunteers, although in Stony there could be as many as 20 in the room. Then we're also developing a bridge care and after, aftercare support. And this is where it's really difficult. But if you are bold in your faith and are available, we are looking for a few people in each community that could be called on on an on-call basis through the uh, chaplaincy recommendation when someone is being released. Maybe they, they need just a friend, a mentor, someone to hold them accountable. Maybe the, someone to hold a Bible study with them every couple weeks. Maybe they need practical help integrating into a church community. Maybe they need some practical help with housing or employment, but we're looking for people who could stand in the gap for those people who are reintegrating into society. We also have a new restorative justice program, and we ran a pilot project in Stony Mountain Institution, and this gives the opportunity for victims, surrogate victims, to go into the prison and discuss with the offenders the ripple effects of crime. So we choose an, a victim who has been victimized by the same type of crime as the ones committed by those in the program. So they get a chance to sit across the room from each other and discuss what was going on, what they were thinking, how it has affected them, and they get to see the humanity on each side of the equation. It helps each of them come to a greater degree of healing as they talk about making amends and moving on with their life. And then we have our family ministry. We're right in the middle of Angel Tree Christmas, where we provide Christmas gifts to children of inmates on behalf of their incarcerated parents. And your youth group here has sponsored 10 children this year, and I was happy to be able to get them six of those 10 children of connections to Garden Hill. So there's a connection with Pathway as well. Uh, we still have many kids across the nation without sponsors. If you're interested, you can see us at the table out in the foyer. 
And like any kind of ministry, the things that we need, like everybody else, is prayer support. We're working in areas that are very dark. We are working with traumatized people who have a lot to get over. And uh, we also need financial support to keep our materials always available. Uh, I forgot to mention in family ministry, we also send children to Bible camp. This past summer, 27 inmates' children attended a week of Bible camp, up from three the year before that. So we're trying to support the whole family because the families are victims of crime as well. Before we get to that, um, you might be sitting there wondering what the connection is with the season of Advent and the work in prisons. Maybe you're thinking, aren't we supposed to be talking about angels and wise men and nativity scenes? But I can never consider the Advent or the coming of Jesus without my mind going to a familiar passage from Philippians 2, and it seems that that was on Kevin's mind as well. But I'm going to repeat reading just a couple verses there. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And to me, I see this as a picture of the eternal Christ, the co-creator of the world, the one who loved in perf lived in perfect harmony with the Father and the Spirit, who willingly laid aside all of his position, all of his power, in order to come to his people. He chose to condescend to us, to us who were his enemies, who were spiritually dead, who were ungodly, to us who didn't even know what we were missing. And he knew it would be messy, and he knew it was going to cost him, but he did it anyway. And the thing about Jesus is everything he does demonstrates the upside-down nature of his kingdom. When he walked into a leper colony and embraced those who had a contagious, d devastating disease, he didn't get defiled. No, the opposite thing happened. He maintained his purity and passed it on to others, and they were healed. And when Jesus laid his glory aside and condescended to come to us, he didn't become marred by the evil in this world. He didn't become corrupted. No, again, the opposite thing happened. His perfection, his righteousness was what influenced us. He condescended in order to rescue us from ourselves, to pull us out of the mess we were in, and to make us like him. And further along in that same passage, it says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Wow. Because of the advent, we have the opportunity to become blameless and pure. Because of the advent, we can be welcomed as children of God. Jesus, the light of the world, enables us to become as light in a dark world. And so one thing is for sure, interaction with Jesus always leads to surprising results. Jesus condescended to us out of love because each of us bears the image of God. 
when we imitate his example of selfless service to others, when we reach out to those whose brokenness has led them to prison, for example, we acknowledge, acknowledge that they also bear the image of God. They are worthy of our love and our respect and our time. So categories such as criminal, refugee, immigrant, homeless, enemy, all of these categories become irrelevant. And what becomes crystal clear is that we have been called to serve. It may be messy, and it may be difficult at times, but it will reflect the mindset of Jesus. There's a vast, broken world out there, desperate for friendship, hope, and good news. So as a result of Advent 2019, how will you respond? Which label for others that has been running through your head will you discard? Where will you see the image of God in those around you, and how will love motivate you to serve? Perhaps it will be with prison fellowship. So our vision at Prison Fellowship Canada is to be a national community of reconciliation and restoration to offenders, ex-offenders, their families, and victims, using a faith-based approach to transformation based on the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Through my ministry here at the church, I've met so many different people. I believe the Lord had prepared me ahead of time, realizing that everyone has a story. God sees us all the same. It's not about how I see them or how other people see them. It's how God sees them. There's always someone behind the four walls of prison who needs to hear about the love of God, who needs to hear about the grace of God. Jesus' call is, I'm not come to call the self-righteous, but sinners to repentance. And for all of us to get a grip on, but by the grace of God, there go I. I'm no different than these men in prison. I've heard some of the men say that uh, I never would have found Jesus if I hadn't come to jail. The joy of doing ministry and that scripture that says, whoever loses his life will gain it, that is what we see over and over in church communities and in individual volunteers when they get involved with prison ministry. I see miracles happen. I have that joy of seeing girls change, completely change. God's already working inside the prison. We're just coming in, as Paul says, walk and step with the Spirit and see what God is already doing and help the men on their journey. When they come into jail, all of a sudden they're in this very vulnerable place where everything's been taken away. And now they actually have time to read and study and learn and question faith. The challenge I find for them comes when they walk back out the door. My desire is that some of these folks that we've reached as inmates would show up at our gathering would be a part of our family in their journey in surrendering their lives to Christ. I'm so glad that I found Prison Fellowship and I'm, I'm not doing this on my own. When you're faced with challenges, that you need some coaching or guidance, you've got some place to go to people who've got more experience than you do as a volunteer. The resources that Prison Fellowship has, I mean, it has changed my life. Our mission at Prison Fellowship is to uh, resource and equip the local church to carry out this ministry. We believe that this ministry belongs to uh, the local church. So if you are interested in getting involved with us, get a hold of us on the website, grab a couple of friends from your uh, church community, and we would love to partner with you, equip you, train you, have you join us in serving life. Amen. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for coming.
and for being with us today and uh, reminding us of the incredible ministry that exists behind walls that we often don't pass through. And so, amen. The Bible talks a lot about prisons and prisoners. In fact, uh, in the New Testament particularly, there's a lot about prisoners. And um, Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament almost, uh, he wrote 13 of the letters that are in our, our Bible, in our New Testament. And four of the 13 were, are called prison epistles because he wrote them from prison when he was a prisoner. And many Christians suffered imprisonment uh, in the first century AD. And we read about the Philippians, Philemon, Ephesians, and Colossians that were all written while Paul was chained to a Roman guard in about 62 AD. And it's interesting because in the end of Philippians chapter 4, he mentions the, those who are of Caesar's household. Uh, God ordained that somehow Paul would be spending time in a Roman prison because he wanted to influence the Caesar's household. But in that same chapter, in chapter 4, verse 3, he mentions a guy named Clement. Now, many people believe that Clement is, later on, becomes the Pope of Rome and, and the, the Pope of the church and, in fact, was discipled by Paul, the same Clement, and was the one who wrote the church at Corinth after the, church, the, the letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. In other words, he was very, very evangelical in his mindset when he became Pope in 80, 88 AD. And here's something that Pope Clement wrote in, uh, in that time. He says, you should do good to and pay honor and reverence to man who is made in the image of God. Minister food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, clothing to the naked, hospitality to the stranger, and necessary things to the prisoner. And that is what we, that is what will be regarded as truly bestowed upon God. Don't those words sound so much like Jesus in Matthew 25 when he says, I was, I was in prison and you visited me, I was hungry and you fed me and so on. And so during this Advent season, as we have come out of the series on the image of God, the Imago Dei, and the dignity and, and value of human worth, we are involved in now taking a look in practical ways at ministries that help us connect and build bridges to the marginalized in our society. Last week, we were so blessed to have uh, David Paulandine share today, Elizabeth has shared. I thought uh, this past week about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in his very influential life, uh, probably one of the most influential men of the 20th century, the one who was the leader of the civil rights movement from 1955 until his assassination in 19. 68, and I uh, was reading a little bit of, of some of the, how he referenced the image of God in his preaching, and uh, whether he was talking about his own black countrymen or other minority or marginalized group, he would often talk about the image of God. One time he, he said, sometimes Aunt Jane on her knees can get more truth than the philosopher on his tiptoes, and this is what all men are made in the image of God tells us, and we must believe this, and we must live it. We must live it. And I believe that living it means that you cannot speak to or speak about another human being in any way that denigrates the image of God in that person, regardless of how marred that image might be. 
course, his famous, Martin Luther King's famous um, speech, I Have a Dream, on Washington Hill there, August 28th, 1963. Let me just read you a paragraph. He said, Let not seek, let's, not, let's not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. Oh, Lord, no. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights, and this is what I love, of meeting physical force with soul force. I like that. Meeting physical force with soul force, he says. And indeed, that's what Martin Luther King Jr. did. Last week, David Pollendine, quoting, quoting Isaiah 58 and linking it to the ministry he has in International Justice Mission, said some things that struck, struck with me. He said that there is nothing like violence to distort the image of God in humanity. And that stuck with me, that word violence. There's nothing like violence to distort the image of God in humanity. He talked about the fact that injustice is when someone uses an advantage, violence, or neglect to keep others from experiencing the good life that God desires for them. And that so many people who are poor are outside of the, the, the scope of justice. Today, Elizabeth Greer shared with us from Prison Fellowship about some of those who are victims of crime and violence, and she shared from Philippians 2 just now, thank you, of how God in his mercy sent Jesus Christ down into our mess. And I want to talk about that word violence a little bit this morning before we conclude. I was reading on this idea, this Stats Canada has definitions page, and when, when I went to the Stats Canada definitions page, they said that violent crimes in Canada are also called crimes against persons. That's what distinguishes some crimes. And violent crimes are against persons that in, they invoke, that invoke the use or intent, threatened use of violence against a person, including homicide, attempted murder, assault, sexual assault, and robbery. And that word violence keeps on coming up, especially offensive because no human should ever ever use manipulation, intimidation, physical force, neglect, or anything else to overpower another person who is created in the image of God. This is what is so offensive to God. And uh, I love what John F. Kilner writes. He says, destroying someone in God's image is tantamount to attacking God personally. This is what the image-bearing means. This is what it means to be created in the image of God, that a sin, a crime, a violence, an aggression against another human being is unlike anything else in God's economy book, in God's book of sin. It's incredible because every person is unique and unrepeatable and autonomous and precious in the sight of God. We are the apple of his eye. We're the crown jewel in his throne room. The image bearers on this earth, you and I. 
And so we have to think about that. When I think about Genesis, we're going through Genesis, we're going to get back to it right into the new year, and I, and I think about Genesis, and the first family, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the first family, what happens? Violence comes into the family. One day, Abel offers to God an offering, and, and Cain also offers an offering, and because of the way that God wanted offerings offered, Cain's was not acceptable and Abel's was. Cain got jealous and envious. He rose up against his brother. He said, let's go out and walk in the field. And as they were out in the field, it says that Cain rose up and slew his brother Abel. He killed his brother. Can you imagine the grief that came to that first family, Adam and Eve? And just in a little while later in Genesis 4, it says that, that God came to Cain and he said, where's your brother, Cain? And he, he responds defensively and he says, what am I, my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's babysitter? And then God says, he says, Cain, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. What have you done? And just a few verses later, Cain cries out to God. And Cain says, my punishment is too great. My punishment is too great, oh God. I don't know about you, but I see two victims in that story. And the prison walls that Elizabeth is talking about and she visits, the prison walls tell stories, don't they? And there's always two sides to the story, isn't there? There's the victim side and the accused side, the perpetrator, the assailant. Oh, prisons tell two stories with every crime. Incredible. God weeps over both sides of humanity's destruction. God weeps over the victim's story and the aggressor's story. God weeps because both sides bear the image of God. Both sides of this wall of humanity have been affected by the fall. And so every story has two sides. That's why the very next chapter in Genesis we'll be getting to it. Chapter 5, what does God do? God reiterates the teaching of the image of God right after the first murder, the first messed up dysfunctional family. He reiterates why the image of God is so important. Later on when Noah comes, chapter 9, and Noah's rebuilding now again, brand new civilization starting after the flood. What does God do? He puts out the image of God. Friends, we cannot read Genesis and not understand that the very foundation of civilization, of all that is, is that humans are created in the image of God and must be held in high regard. And that's why violence is an incredibly assaulting thing against the very nature of God. Violence causes such grief. All of Winnipeg grieved, I think, about a month ago, all of Winnipeg grieved when we, when we heard on the news about a 29-year-old man who was arrested for the killing of a 21-year-old man here in Winnipeg, the 41st homicide in our city this year, which tied a record for homicides in any given year 
to that of 2011. And several times you and I watched the news or listened to it on the radio when our police chief, Danny Smith, has spoken to the media about the violence of our city and the violent year that we've had and the many challenges that the Winnipeg Police Services is facing. And oftentimes I think about the police, I think about John and Terrence, and I think about the people that we send into difficult situations because we don't want to go, and we know somebody has to deal with it. And I want you to know that we're hoping again in this coming year to take our week as a church in what's called the 365 Prayer Watch for the Winnipeg Police Services. You'll be hearing about it. We want to take our week and try to, try to cover the city and cover the Winnipeg Police Services personnel in prayer. It'll probably be in January or February. What an incredible, incredible job they have. And so today, just as we conclude, I want to share with you from a scripture in Hebrews chapter 13. And again, I'm trying to put into your toolbox more tools in, by which you will be able to engage in an Advent Christmas season in your own personal family that is beyond what is normal and will teach and touch some of the least of these. And so I want us to turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 1 to 3. And I'm just going to read it now. You don't need to stand. It just says very simply, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. He starts by using the word phileo, which is the, one of the words for love. It's friendship love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Friendship love. Brotherly love. And that word phileo is in the scriptures some 20 or 30 times in the New Testament, and sometimes it's used very specifically of Christian brotherhood, and sometimes it's used of humanity brotherhood. And, and there's three evidences that I see in these three verses of what brotherly love results in. The first thing that the writer of Hebrews says in, in verse 1 is he says, show hospitality to strangers. That's brotherly love. And it's interesting because this is, a, this is the kind of love that goes beyond both the word hospitality and the word stranger in the used in the same sentence communicates in two different ways that you and I are called as Christians to go beyond. First of all, the word hospitality means you go beyond your family and your little friendship circles, right? You go beyond that because hospitality is that which is extra. It goes beyond just feeding your family like you do every day. And the word strangers attached to that means that you go beyond the, the circle of friends and family that you have and you say, no, I don't know them, but they're in a, a tough situation or they're lonely or they're needing some help. Let's have them over or let's take them out or let's minister to them somehow. That's a stranger. This kind of love, first evidence, the writer of Hebrews says, is this is the kind of love that goes beyond how are you deciding in this season of Advent and Christmas to go beyond? What will you do? Let's not, let's, let's not keep this in the Bible. Let's not keep this in our notes and in our theory, in our heads, in our prayers. Let's go beyond 
What can we do to show love? Secondly, I see in this scripture, as we're on the theme of today, is remember those who are in prison as though you were there yourself. The word is actually those who are bound as though you were bound yourself in chains. In my seminary days, when we were at Acadia Divinity College in Nova Scotia, Pat and I had the opportunity about every six weeks to two months, somewhere in there, to go to Spring Hill Penitentiary. And we would engage in what was called a Kairos Marathon. It was underneath the leadership of Charles Taylor, who was uh, also a mentor to Alf Bell. And we would go there, and at the end of any of these big group therapies, where there was about 25 outsiders and 25 insiders, and we would have this incredible time when God would show up, at the end of that weekend, I knew, I knew I could walk out of those gates and go home. And I knew that those inmates had to go back to a 10 by 10 cell or something like that. And yet as we talked and as Charles Colson said in the video earlier, what I came to see was what Charles Taylor said. He said, we're all more alike than we are different. I came to see that we're all so much more alike than we are different. And so... Remember those who are in prison as though you were there yourself. And then thirdly, this third evidence of this phileo love is to care for those who are mistreated. Present tense, care for those who are being mistreated. Those who face abuse. Comes in all shapes and sizes. It's found everywhere in society. People who are being mistreated physically, emotionally, sexually. No human should ever need to live in fear of being mistreated. I remember my first time going to one of the Kairos marathons at Spring Hill Penitentiary in Nova Scotia, and I was paired up with an inmate, and I remember talking to him about the, trying to share the gospel. And I remember him, uh, I was trying to say that, uh, you know, I asked him, How, what color do you think my soul is? I first asked him what color his soul was. He said black. And I said, what color do you think my soul is? And he said, oh, white. You little preacher boy. And I said, well, say, say mine's not white. Say it's gray. And then I said, now, now just imagine that Jesus Christ himself walks into this room, in this chapel. What color is his soul? Well, he's Jesus. I said, because beside Jesus, we're going to look very similar in our dirt in our sin. I found out later that that man was in prison for killing his father. That that man was at the end of his time of, of a long sentence because one day in his early 20s after facing so much abuse from his father from being a child, getting beaten up, and after when his father was drunk, he finally, in his own drunkenness one day, took a shotgun and blew his dad apart when he was in bed. You see, there's brokenness on both sides of the fence, isn't there? There's victims on both sides of the fence. There's people that are broken image bearers, and there's image bearers that are broken in every family. Of course, we all are broken. We're all more alike than we are different. So the, folk, the, 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 the challenge is, what can we do to make a difference this Christmas? I want to reiterate this. This is really the golden rule that Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All three ways. 
Show hospitality to strangers. If you were in a strange land or if you had no family around you this Christmas, wouldn't you want someone to invite you over? And secondly, if, if you were in prison, wouldn't you want someone to visit you? And thirdly, if you were being mistreated, if you were in an abusive situation ongoingly, would you not some, want someone to come and be your advocate and care for you? Yeah, we all would. We all would. And that's the opportunity we have. Folks, we have that opportunity. We're free to make choices about how we spend our time and our money in this next month. We are free to do that. We are free to be God's messengers in this way. Would you stand with me? And as you stand with me, I want you to, maybe something has come to mind, maybe a person, maybe a family has come to mind. And just now before we conclude our service and and we're going to exit because we're going to be changing this room into a tables and chairs for our meal together. But just before we do that, I just want to ask you, would you just keep in your mind that family, that individual, that thing that you're meant to do to, make, to go beyond this Christmas? And I'm going to ask you, just pray with me about that for now. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Your word that is so very practical. We thank you, Lord, for Prison Fellowship Canada, and we pray, oh God, that uh, you would bless their ministry to prisoners, to their families, to those who are being released, those who are awaiting a trial. Father, would you show us anyone in this list of least of these that we're looking at over Advent season. Just show us anybody, oh God, you want to put your hand on, you want to bless, you want to touch, anyone at all, God, we want to be available to you. And so, Father, even now, if there's somebody in our minds, I pray in Jesus' name, just help us to make the commitment today. Yeah, we're going to do something. Lord, we're going we're gonna to respond. I ask you to help us. Would you bless our meal, oh Lord, as we're getting ready to have a meal soon in this room and our our annual general meeting, would you help us as we do your business, as we talk about your money and, and the, the gifts and abilities you've given us? Bless this church family. Bless each one who's visiting with us today. May they experience the love of God. And we commit to you our day now and our lives and this week in Jesus' name.